I ask me, what do you do all week when you're down there? I should probably write it down because the end of the week, I'm like, what did I do all week? I have no idea. I just know that at the end of every day, I'm tired. <laughs> um, it kind of blends together day to day. But our whole goal is to go down in there and love people. Like, people will say, well, what's your, you know, what's your long-term goal? That these kids feel loved. Short-term goal is that while we're there, they feel loved. My long-term goal is that 20 years from now, they go, man, somebody took time to care about us. You know, I, I watch sometimes we have people who came to our ministry 15 years ago that were kids that are now in their 30s, you know, or 20s, and they talk about the fact that it impacted them. It made a difference. We'll go out to dinner with them, and they'll just thank us for everything we did. And I, I always want to say, we really, we just came here. We just spent a week here. We didn't do anything life-changing. But one thing I firmly believe about God is it's not about the massive end whether I was able to do this, it's whether or not as I was obedient to go, which takes us right into where we are today. I may not change a single life, but I did it because we've been called to go. I did it because I've been called to love. And that's going to look different for different people. What it looks like for you being called to love and what it looks like for me are going to be different. Your life is different than mine. The people you meet, the people you interact with, the people you encounter are different. But as they say in the movie, The Blues Brothers, we're on a mission from God. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I did reference it last week, so those of you who like to read ahead are set. But 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 18. And it says, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed and Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And he brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. And I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, so it wasn't really Saul's fault, is the people, even though he was in charge, they took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It doesn't say he's rejected Saul, it just says he's rejected him from being king. So here's some things that this text teaches us. Number one, we are on a mission from God. From the moment God created you, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. And that's different for different people, because not everybody can have the same plan. We come from different backgrounds, different places. We make different choices along the way. But God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Different roles, different setting, different ages. I, I, I often tell you this, but it's your job to reach your neighbors, not mine, because I don't live next to your neighbors. Except for a couple of you who live on my street, then we can double up and go after them. But with the exception of the two families that attend here that live on my street, the rest of us, we're in different neighborhoods. We have different neighbors. We have different co-workers. We have different relatives and different family and different friends. 
but we're still all on a mission from God. The text teaches us this. We have free will. Will we acknowledge and recognize that God has called us to do something? Because, see, God's called you to do something, but you have to acknowledge it, recognize it, and agree to do it. And when I say do, it's not how much you give or how much you're, I'm doing this and this and this. It's about, am I living my life in such a way that I represent who God is in my life, in my words, in my actions, through the way I love, through the way I interact, through the way I care about those who are in need? Will we follow what we're called to do? And if I do, how does this change my life? See, some people look at this and think that God is trying to strike people down and they have this wrong view of God because they have this Old Testament view of God that makes them believe that he's just waiting to get you. And the way the writers wrote the Old Testament was from their worldview and from their perspective and the way they see it. But see, we see a different view of God in the same New Testament and it is the same God. He's a loving, gracious God. But he desires for us to have a changed heart. He wants us to be so changed and so moved and so different that we have something deep within us that compels us to obey. God does have standards for our life. God does want us to live different than the world. God does want us to look different, act different, and be different. But he loves you so much, he desires for you to be who he created you to be. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fifth chances, but that doesn't mean there's no cost. When we choose to let sin rule in our life instead of obey him, there's oftentimes a cost. Doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive, doesn't mean there's not grace, doesn't mean there's not another chance, but it may cost you something it may cost you something because of choices you made early on. Because of sinful choices. You go, but I wasn't even a believer then or I was so much younger then. It doesn't mean there's no cost. You will sometimes miss the opportunity to obey. You're going to continue to sin, in other words. But repentance is freeing. Stop looking for, I can't follow God because I just can't be perfect. You never will be in this lifetime. However, we can continue to move forward, continue to strive, continue to reach towards that calling that he's given to each of us. He desires us to know him, obey him, love him, and follow him. If we're going to do that, we have to understand what obedience is not. Obedience is not blind allegiance to a cause. I'm not asking you to obey everything I tell you to do. The pastor, the leader that tells you to do that, be very wary of. You should run from them. That's when you end up with a Jonestown type of situation. Some of you are old enough to remember that. That's where a leader had these people who were following him, and he goes to South America, and they're, they're basically forced slave labor, except for the higher-ups. And eventually, one day, they all commit suicide. Because they weren't doing what he said. Literally one Sunday in his message... He picked up the Bible and said, you guys are spending too much time trying to understand this. Just listen to me and I'll tell you what to do. I'm 
telling you the opposite. Know what this says and don't do anything contrary to it. And if I or some other leader or some other church or some other authority says, listen to me, not to that, run from them. We are not called to obey one person's personal crusade. We are called to obey what God wants for us. And again, that's going to look different in your life than it does in my life. Obedience sometimes means you're going to come under authority of somebody, but that authority doesn't have to be blind allegiance. Obedience is not because we fear him, but it's because he loves us. Our quest to be more like him should be because we see that he is good. Not because I'm afraid of hell. Not because I'm, oh, I just, if I, if I die and I don't know him, then I'm going to go to hell. Stop having that mindset. You're missing out what he has for you here and now in this lifetime. He has so much more for you. Don't obey because you're afraid of the consequences. Obey because his love for us is so deep that I want to know him more. I want to please him. I want to do what he's called me to do because he has the best in mind and in place for me. Obedience is not ever contradictory to scripture. I touched on that a second ago. But if you believe that God has told you to do something and it contradicts what's in scripture, that is not God telling you to do that. I've heard people justify all kinds of wrong, sinful, and even crazy actions in the name of God. I've heard people make excuses for their behavior, make excuses for why they do certain things or how they do things, and they'll twist Scripture to align with what they want to do. Stop twisting it. I'm not saying you're going to understand everything it says. It's a complicated book but it's written so that we can have hope and we can have life and we can align with that. Third thing text teaches us, or the fourth thing text teaches us is God is calling us to a higher standard. Not because he's demanding, but again, because he sees a larger picture. I touched on that just a moment ago. God sees what your life can be. God knows the outcome when we follow him, when we allow him to direct our paths. I'm not talking about if you don't do what God tells you today, you're not going to be saved. That's, that's the old Armenianism, which gets really dangerous. But it's also not a predestined, so it doesn't matter how I actually live. It doesn't matter what I do. No matter what, I'm going to end up in heaven because I was already preordained. Stop living that way too. Can we say we don't need an Armenianism or a Calvinism, but that we need something kind of in the middle that says, you know what, my salvation is not, I'm not in fear of losing it. And yet, I still have free will, so at any point, I can choose to walk away from it. And I'm not so predestined that no matter what, doesn't matter how I live, God's going to love me. And yet, at the same time, I can walk confidently knowing that I believe God has called every one of us to follow him. So somewhere in that happy middle ground, if we'll live in that place where, you know what, I'm going to choose to follow him, I'm going to choose to live for him, Knowing that my salvation isn't at risk because I sinned this morning. I was raised in that hard line, Armenianism, where if you sinned and then walked out and got on your bike and got hit by a truck, you're going to hell because you didn't repent. So every moment you realize you sinned, you instantly repented. Okay, I'm telling you now, if that's what you were taught, that's a trip and it takes a long time to get over. 
Let's start moving beyond it. But if you were taught, oh, it doesn't matter how you live, because if you're chosen, you're chosen, and if you're not, you're not, so just live however you want, stop buying into that lie either, because that takes away free will, and that's not what God created us. He's looking and saying, I want you to choose me. I want you to choose to follow me. I want you to choose to obey me. You're not going to be perfect at it. But if you choose to live this life, we can know God in a real, deep, meaningful way. That's what obedience is. Obedience isn't doing what I have to out of fear. It isn't defying what I've been told to do. It isn't um, compromising as long as I get away with it. Obedience is understanding what God has for me and the beauty of walking in that. The beauty of knowing that. So here's some concluding questions as we go today. Some things you need to ask yourself. And this, this message is actually going to be continued next week um, where we'll be looking at Joshua 5. So if you want to mark that down so you can read the chapter. But do I actually want to obey God? Sounds like a simple enough question. But if I want to obey God, that might mean I have to do some tough things. And it might mean I've got to compromise what I want. And it might mean I've got to do things that are really difficult and tough. And I've got to make tough decisions. Because if it was easy, everybody would do it. But there's all these things between believing in God and not believing in God. And there's a thousand points on that spectrum. I told you before, I'm never afraid of the person who is open and honest and says, I have doubts about God, or I, don't understand, I doubt some of the things Scripture says. So do I. I'm not afraid of that person. I'm afraid of the person who's come to the conclusion that, nope, God can't be real. That person frightens me. How can you be so confident of that? How can you be that confident in that? I'm not saying, as a believer, I never have doubts. That there aren't things I don't wonder about and things I don't understand. But that doesn't scare God. God's big enough for me to go, I don't understand how this could happen. He's like, yep, you, you can't. You're trying to understand spiritual things through a human mindset. Somebody asked me once, how do you just have faith? And I said, I don't know. I just do. I said, I never believe everything's going to be perfect. I don't understand the people who are like, it's going to be a great day no matter what. Well, you're alive, so if that's your standard of great, sure. (laughs) But somebody recently told me, I've never had a bad day. And I was like, are you ignorant or are you a liar? Because I can't, (laughs) it's got to be one of those two. You've never had a bad day. Come to my world. I'll show you what bad day. Let's go to the hospital and see some of my friends that I know. Let's go to a place where they do drug rehab, and I'll show you how bad days can get. But it doesn't mean God's not real just because it's bad. And if we equate, oh, it's good because things are happy, and that must mean God is good, but if it's bad, then it must, God must not be real. If that's how you equate it, you're never going to come to a place of understanding the reality of God. I've referenced several times in the last few weeks the chapter in Hebrews where it talks about all the people of the faith and then it lists all the unnamed people that were executed, beheaded, drawn and quartered, martyred for their faith that nobody even knows their name but their faith is no less real. It's a bad day when you're drawn and quartered. That's not a good day. 
But it doesn't mean God's not real. It doesn't mean if you obey him, everything works out perfectly. Second question is, if I'm going to obey him, I've got to hear his voice. How do I learn to hear God's voice? First off, it takes time. If you believe that just it's a magical thing that, well, the pastor is just given this oracle. No, it's been years of learning and deciphering and knowing. I believe God still speaks to people. I do not believe God only speaks to a pastor. I do not believe God only speaks to a few. I believe only a few choose to listen. And God never, if, if, again, if you think it's God speaking and it's contrary to what Scripture says, it is not God. But like any other thing, you learn to hear his voice. It starts by engaging in a spiritual community. And I don't just mean showing up once in a while. I mean actually engaging. Because Sarah referenced it earlier, but something I say quite often is, you cannot know God outside a community because God created us. And at the very beginning, he looks, he says, it's not good that man is alone. And many people, they reference that in relationship to a wedding or to getting married or to some type of couple thing. But if you actually look at the original, it's that... We need to be in community, community with one another, community with God. And when we spend our time in community with God and then we come together, we can begin to better understand who God is and have a fuller picture because there is no human that has a full picture of God. Moses goes onto the mountain and he sees just the backside of God and he turns white and he comes down and he's radiant and white and they don't understand. It's because even Moses, who spoke with God, wasn't prepared for the fullness of who God is. Throughout Scripture, we see people, they have this encounter, but they only see a portion of who God is. You and I, we come together, and we begin to get a fuller and a bigger picture. Second thing, if you really want to know who God is, you have to read the Scripture. And I know people say, it's hard. Then get an easy-to-understand version. Start in the book of Mark. Mark was young when he wrote that. They put him somewhere between about 17 and 21. Possibly a teenager when he wrote it. And Mark is actually the first gospel written. And he writes it because he watches all these older people that actually had the first generation encounter with Jesus are dying off and being martyred. And he's like, oh, somebody better write this down before we forget. It's written somewhere around the year 60. And he sits down and he writes... If you can't understand the writings of a 17-year-old, I can't help you much. Talk with me, though. It's a simple... And there's a lot of people who go, oh, it's just too simple of a gospel. I prefer John. Well, yeah. People that are, have read the Bible longer, and I prefer Mark because it's so simple. Here's who he was. Here's a few of the things he did. Here's how he died. Here's what happened after the resurrection. Now, go and believe. Doesn't get much simpler. Don't try to start off in Leviticus and <laughs> decipher your way through it. Just don't. <laughs> I'm not saying you'll never get there, but don't. Start in the Gospels. Read stories of Jesus, who he was, what he did, and the fact that it tells us this many people saw him post-death and resurrection. You want to learn to hear God's voice? Spend time prayer in prayer? But spend time listening. Some people don't understand meditation. They'll say, isn't that like Eastern mysticism? In the winter months, about once a week, I'll give myself just an hour where I literally will get in my car and 
drive around and I pray for the community. And sometimes I'll go 5, 10, 15 minutes and say nothing and just look at houses, just waiting until I feel like God's saying, pray for them. And I have no idea what's going on. These aren't people in the church. These aren't even people I know. But I just drive around the community and I just start to pray as God puts. And there's days where I might pray for three houses in an hour. And there's days where I might pray for a hundred because I'm just driving down. Oh, God. Let them feel your presence. God, let them have an encounter with you. God, if there's something going on there, make your spirit known to them. And then other times, I'll just park somewhere on some little side street or cul-de-sac and just pray for some person. But part of that is I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm listening. And I'm trying to hear, God, give me insight. Give me wisdom. Let me know. I can't say that has ever changed anything other than this. It changes my heart and how I view people. Because when I'm out with the police and I understand why they have so much trauma and you see the worst of the worst. And I've been in houses and you just go, this is not even inhabitable. How are people living like this? And we go in and we arrest somebody and I go, it's no wonder we're arresting them. Look at everything in their world around them. The only surprise is it's taken this long. Because we live in a broken, fallen world and broken, fallen people. And you know what? Driving around praying for my city does for me keeps me from hating those people who are so bad that I keep seeing. I ride around twice a month and there are houses I've been in multiple times in the city. And I'm out there twice a month. There's people that I go, I've been in that house and, they'll tell, and the officer I'm with will go, oh, you picked up so-and-so and name them by name. It's really easy to go, that's a bad person and they deserve. But God looks and says, they're a broken person and they desperately need to know me. And it's my job to say, God, through your Holy Spirit, let them encounter you. Let them know you. Let that come alive in them. Because we're all in this broken world together and we all need somebody who's going to love us and care for us and see us through. You want to really know God? Start listening to God. Spend time praying, but then just shut your mouth and just clear your mind and just let him speak to you. And if you don't know, you go, oh, I feel like God told me this. Come and talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll listen. And I'll go, I don't think that's God. Or yeah, I think he's calling you to something. And the final question I'm asking this week is this. Is obedience really possible in the world today? Because much of the word of God seems to contradict the standards and practices of the world we live in. So come back over the next three weeks because I'm going to talk about that more. Actually, in three weeks, on August 5th, I'll be talking specifically about that idea. Can we do this in today's world? Can we? I don't know. The average person in in America that attends church. This isn't the average person. The average person who says they attend church attends one out of every three weeks. So for those of you who are here today, you'll get to hear that. Those of you who missed today, they won't even get to catch up on that. But seriously, I always say, it's not about legalism. I don't ever want you to feel like, oh, Jeff only likes me if I attend church every week. Or Jeff only, no. It's that we know God when we come together in community, and I want you to know God so well No matter who's up here, you know whether that's the voice of God or not. That's what I want for you. The greatest legacy a pastor can leave 
is that people know the voice of God after he's gone, and they still hear it. You guys that have been around this church for any amount of time know that there has been a great foundation at both the different locations, and then as we came together, there was a great foundation laid. Let's move forward and take this message to a world that's just dying to know who Jesus is. Father God, I thank you today for your love and your grace, and I thank you, God, for just the idea that you've called us to something. Though we can't always define that, we don't always understand it, we, we can't always put into words, we can know this without a doubt, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, for each of us. God, I pray for those today um, in our church who are in financial need, I pray that you would provide provision. God, for those who are in need of a job, who are unemployed or underemployed, I pray, Father God, that you would meet that this week. God, I pray that resumes they sent out weeks or even months ago, they get calls, and Father God, that you open doors for them. God, for those who are in need of a physical touch, illness, brokenness, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, they need you. Father God, I pray that you would meet them today. People in this congregation would be able to say, I know that God met me. I know that God healed me. I know that God took my broken heart and began to mend it. God, for those who are feeling lonely, isolated, afraid, and depressed. Lord, if it's a chemical imbalance, I pray for just a balancing of those chemicals. If it's the world has them down, Lord, that you would let them know they're not alone. Lord, I don't believe it's a demon, and I don't believe that there's something wrong with them as a person. But Father God, we go through times in life where we feel emotionally broken, and I pray for healing for that. That your Holy Spirit would comfort and soothe their loneliness and meet them where they're at. That they would know that they are valued and that they are loved and that they matter. God, for anybody else in this room today who just needs to know you more, I pray that they would be bold enough to say, I need that, I want that. God, whether they've made that decision for the first time or whether they've never made that decision or whether they're somewhere else on their journey, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal the reality of who you are to them today and that they would be bold enough to say, I need to know God. Lord, let them see that. Let them know that. I thank you and praise you for every person in this room. May they go. May they know that they're loved and valued. In your name, amen.